Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, I'm here today, joined by Dev Panchwa. Dev, how you doing? I'm fantastic, Ken. It seems like football is around the corner, but uh, maybe not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, I guess, a moving target. There you go. I mean, we just uh, can't seem to get any kind of surety about this season. And, and, you know, there's more things happening. Of course, the Rams have announced just recently that they expect their many preseason games to be canceled to kind of jump the gun on the rest of the NFL in that regard with the announcement. Because the Ravens haven't said that yet. I mean, people are making assumptions. It's interesting. Exactly. Uh, Usually these decisions uh, seem, seem that they would be made across the board, not necessarily uh individually by the teams uh, if, if if the rams are doing it then why wouldn't you know all the other teams kind of follow suit or that's really intriguing to me like do, do these do teams have that leeway to make the decision i don't i don't see it that way but maybe maybe so but yeah this, this seems like a very strong precautionary move 
Uh, and also kind of speaks to the fact that I think there's speculation anyway that at least two games would be canceled, uh, if not all of them. This was this was back two when games the schedule came out of the regular season. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. so. So it kind of all feeds into that, right? No preseason, and then two pre uh, two regular season games, which pushes you out a couple of weeks, or, or or you know you move things around. That's how the schedule has been laid out. So uh, they, they laid out the yeah. schedule so I think the week two opponents all have their same bye week later in the season, so they can they can not lose week two, replay it anyway at a later date. So it's it's well laid out schedule. It's a well formulated Very schedule. Very much so. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we're going to suspend our disbelief for the next 45 minutes to an hour, probably. Talk a little bit of offensive line as if they're playing these games in 2020, and we will see how it works out. So, yeah. great to have you on this for this. Always great to talk any any bit of football about you. Let's talk about where you do your writing, and you you longtime writer of the Battle Plans series on RSR. What are you doing now? Yeah, so now the, there's a little more of a free, freely, uh, I guess, not a freelance is, is the wrong way to put it, but just uh, a little bit more of an op-ed kind of approach, and then I do some analysis pieces. So whatever strikes me for Russell Street uh, report, uh, I do work on kind of dedicated projects and things that strike me from an anal- anal- analysis standpoint or X's and O's standpoint. So it's not as dedicated, but it's fun. Uh, I think it, it opens up possibilities and, um, you know, it's been such a strange off season, Ken, that I've been able to make a couple of appearances on your podcast. And what I've alluded to is the fact that this has just been such an abnormal off season that some of the discussions and some of the topics that I might've, uh, kind of put a lot more energy into, <laughs> I, I pulled back on just because we don't know that there's going to be football, right? So I think, the conversation we're having to, to, to right now is more tangible, but some of the other ones you kind of have to rethink as you get closer to the season. So, um, but yeah, that's where I'm at right now. And, uh, you know, just have a couple of ideas in, in my head and, and I haven't put them down yet. So just kind of be on the lookout for that. All righty. Fair enough. Well, let's talk some offensive line for the 2020 Ravens here. And we'll start at the tackle position where, you know, at least those positions appear to be set in terms of the starters. Yeah, I think so. That that's a given. They've got arguably, if not the best tackle tandem in the league. You know, it's it's up there. Can't imagine too many other. I mean, it's easily top three, top five. I, I can't off the top of my head. I'd have to think about other teams that can match up, right? But uh, you know, I think this is as good as it gets, um, and, and it's as good of a combo as they've ever really had because. We did that. We did the all-time uh, team discussion, and you think back to right tackle, especially. It hasn't been anything special. I think Orlando Brown Jr.'s as good of a up, he has as good of an upside to be among the top, if not the top, right tackles. Uh, and then Stanley's already uh, up there as one of the game's best left tackles. So yeah, I think yeah, they're sure. set. No question about it. Yeah, the 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 two that really come to mind are the. Uh, Gaither Willie Anderson year was terrific. Yes, that's being a, good, a pair, pair of outstanding ones. And then, yep. then the very next year, they had Orr playing what was really his only very good season at the NFL level when he played as a rookie at right tackle, had that physicality. He played great at right tackle and terrible at left tackle even within that season. And yet, yeah. a choice would they make? They have to move him to left tackle, of course, the next year. And that yeah. kind of ruined the party for a lot of players. <laughs> no, Most for notably, sure. Yeah. 
Oh, sort sorry, of gave her through his career away at that moment. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> just said, oh, I'm not going to play anymore. But he, was, he had been stretch. great. They had that interesting stretch with Gaither or and then or playing musical chairs, and then they brought in McKinney. And that McKinney's uh, run during the Super Bowl run happened to be some of his best football. And then you had, and then they, I think 2011, he played pretty well uh, as well. So, um, yeah, they had a good stretch of combinations. That's true. Those those couple of years, they really did. The the eight to twelve teams were really built on the offensive line in a lot of ways. So they had Matt Burke, of course, there and all, and all. Anyway, exciting times. Let's talk. Let's go. Pull it back here to this year's left tackle, right tackle situation. Talk about Ronnie Stanley first. Is there anything that he can do better this year? Obviously, he had a very good pass blocking year. I think some of that is well. Some of it's a function of the two and a half st- second standard that PFF is using and propagating. They've mm-hmm. got a much much loud, louder bullhorn in that regard. I love Ronnie Stanley. I thought he had a very good year, but I don't think his year was quite as good when you examine it under a three-second standard as opposed to two and a half. Yeah, no, I know you have the drill down on that for sure, and I defer to your expertise, frankly. Uh, but, yeah, I, I know you've also been vocal about the fact that he played extremely well. He also benefits from the quarterback that he plays and protects. Uh so there's some arguments to be made. He's one of the be- coming out of, I mean, coming out of college, entering the pros. He's always been known for his pass blocking. I think that's mm-hmm. his calling card. It's the run blocking, and not so much run blocking. He's good functionally, but just he's not overpowering. Uh, mm-hmm. He's not. He's been knocked, I think, at times for not playing with that mean streak. But I don't. You tell me. I, I think he he did quite well in that department as well. I don't think you're ever going to get him to be. J.O. maybe at that rate in terms of just, you know, J.O. I, thought, J-O I think under was underrated in how much he played with a nasty streak. Oh, yeah, he's uh, a very powerful player. I mean, yeah. if, if these two were playing on the same team, we had this question come up on a recent pod, I think Stanley would make sense at left tackle and J.O. would be very adaptable at right tackle as being yeah. a very powerful run blocker, lead, the, lead a power run game that was right-handed. And Absolutely. what Stanley did this last year to use his quickness to get into level two and level three showed up a couple of times. First of all, it showed up. He went out for a pass. I forget if this was 18 or 19, actually, uh, on a play where he was a uh, eligible receiver on the end of the line. But he also he also you know made a number of level two and level three blocks that were instrumental in longer runs for Jackson on some escapes to the left side after mm-hmm. uh, after the pistol runs in that direction. Yeah, that's where he shines. Uh, he's just a freak athlete who can get out in space and, and get to targets that you wouldn't necessarily uh, find from other left tackles. Yeah, you definitely – that was true. A lot of left tackles and right tackles the Ravens have had over the years, but McKinney, uh, this was certainly true, is just they have a high missed block rate by my system because they can't make themselves be effective on the backside of a run play. That's not at all a problem for Stanley. Very mm-hmm. low missed, missed block rate on offside runs. Yep. No, definitely. Let's move on to Orlando Brown then. How do you want to start the discussion there? By the way, outstanding podcast out there. Folks should listen to it. Brandon Thorne has an interview with Orlando Brown that I think is quite good. And uh, it's out there. I I will make sure I post something about it on Twitter over the next day or two to give people a link. But uh, how about his 2019 season? Yeah, I know. Again, this could be a case of of him – 
playing really well, but maybe it was uh, maybe not. Maybe it was a little bit uh, inflated based on some of the factors. Uh, you know, again, did he have to pass block for as long? He benefited from Labar, but I think uh, one of the things he's worked on, and I know one of the biggest knocks has been his feet and his quickness overall. Uh, that seems to have gotten better. I think there was some games in which he did get overpowered sometimes. And I, I think just kind of there, there was some um, games in which not necessarily the entire game. I'm thinking to, you know, his matchup with Watt, for example, I think he played pretty well. And there were some times Watt had him and beat him. I mean, this isn't anything different than anybody else, right? They're going to have a couple of moments where they aren't at their best against the top competition. So uh, I guess in a, in a nutshell, to me, it's still pass blocking and it's kind of flipped for him versus Ronnie Stanley. Uh, I think, you know, that, that could be an area where his feet, his ability to just kind of mirror still needs some some improvement. But he's on his he's well on his way, I think, just has taken tremendous steps forward. And he gets to absorb a lot of bull rush activity with Lamar. We don't need to beat that dead horse. But uh, but he does get a lot more opportunities to anchor, which is his very best talent as a lineman otherwise he's kind of he is kind of scrambling to push a guy past the back pylon of the pocket when he gets fanned out and that's something that rick wagner was quite good at he might be a tick slow and when that'll come up back to bite him is when the ravens are consistently down in games or down more often certainly they were in 2019 we saw that in the titans game he wasn't the titans game exactly yeah and that's one of the games where he, he struggled more right when they've got to they've got to fan out and then have a pocket and enable Lamar to step up. So that's when you get kind of a little bit concerned about his ability to keep up with an edge rush. And then you're naturally opening your opening yourself up to an inside move as well. You overextend. So these are things that I'm sure that um, are going to have to be scrutinized or coaches are scrutinizing it right now. And then you hope he corrects some of it. Right. I thought the Ravens did a, a very good job of making him be effective in the run game with the kind of the let the defensive end go on that on his side primarily. Mm-hmm. Make that make a make a very effective and one thing Orletta Brown is always going to have a lot of mass involved yeah. that is very effective as the second block on a double team. So he can really tee up the guy for the right guard very effectively. The, the defensive tackle for the right guard. Right. And then he's also very good at, at eating up space by moving up that half level against the scraping linebacker, as opposed to a full level to, to meet a linebacker who wouldn't be closing in on the line of scrimmage at that point. So I thought very effective at, at the Ravens scheme is very effective at, at making him effective there. Yeah, it, it goes both ways. I mean, it's a great description. Both of these tackles, Stanley and Brown are also very smart. I think mm-hmm. the, the intelligence is important, yes. their football IQ, like their understanding of the gaps, the understanding of the scheme, and like you said, how they're utilized, but they're versatile enough in the run and pass game. And I think that's also important, uh, given all of the things that Greg Roman uh, does schematically. Well, very good top pair. Then we look to the second level and any kind of depth on this unit. And it gets a little scary, and particularly in a year where they're already anticipating the need for a three-week COVID disabled list, injured reserve, whatever you want to call it, a, a, a three-week period of, of um, uh, being set aside for the virus. What if you know another tackle is required? And the Ravens obviously there, they have to search pretty hard on who the next guy is. Andre Smith is on the roster. 
He doesn't have a lot of guaranteed money. I think I don't see what the guy has left. We didn't see much from him last year. Where are you on him? It's a scary proposition is where I am with him. I He's fallen off, I think, and to your point, I don't see a revival. I don't see this being like a Willie Anderson, for example, who still, ha- still had some gas left in the tank. Maybe schematically and maybe the coaches can work with him and there's more there. I do trust the Ravens coaches here. Um, so that that's something you give them. I think the benefit of, of the doubt on, they must see something they like with Andre Smith and that they can work with. Yeah, he does have experience to play both uh, tackle positions. I think you would hope uh, if it came down to it, he plays right tackle, um, left tackle. They really are in a bit of a bind. I think uh, if anything were to happen to Ronnie Stanley. Right. That's, that's exactly it is that is that I think Andre Smith might be able to do some of the things at right tackle that Orlando Brown can do in terms of absorbing a bull rush. Mm-hmm. And 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 you know maybe making the some of the easier run blocks. So I think Brown is pretty damn good at it, but I really don't want to see him at left tackle. I, I think they. I don't even know what they do if they if they try and move Brown to the other side. If they look right. to the street or what they might do. But uh, I, I will say this: that the Ravens have in their history a very bad record with discount veteran offensive linemen a very bad record they have they've had several good signings that they've got they got burke they got mm-hmm. willie anderson and even jeremy zuda was pretty good he was signed to a multi-year deal they got about th- two and a half three good years out of him before he fell off the table the guys who are bad have been tragically bad and we can go through that list either now or later i don't care but uh may as well be now i guess since we're since we're on it i mean it, smith fits right in with these guys Leon Searcy, of course, never played a down. One of our least favorite names, no doubt, in this town for the 2001 signing that never yeah. resulted in a game played. A very significant contributor to the cap purge of 02. That was probably going to happen anyway. Andre Garad, whose best years were way behind him with the Cowboys, but it had been a multi-time pro bowler. Eric Williams, similar situation, done when he got here. Kendrick Vincent, they actually got about 20 starts out of I think it might have been 21 over two years, but he was pretty bad. And I have the recency bias of looking at the 05 and 06 seasons and just seeing right. how bad he's been. <laughs> he's awful, yeah. yeah. A, lot of dry, a lot of, I think, he was, he was pushed around quite a bit, so... Uh, very much so. Bobby Williams. I, I hardly remember having the guy, but he was like Ray Lewis's best friend in the 2012 playoff run. He That's what I remember. Like, he he yeah. always seemed to be right around Ray. and cheer- yeah. He was like a cheerleader. It was, mm-hmm. I think he's a vet that, that won a Super Bowl at the end of his career. So, so but way past, I, I mean, way past his best days with Cincinnati. Well, let's hope that he, let's hope that Bobby Williams, or sorry, that uh, Andre Smith is the kind of the mirror of that or the, the next generation of that. I'll go along with Benny Anderson. Boy, the Ravens have a lot of ex Bengals linemen. That's not the <laughs> yeah, place. That's, that's not the talent pool to be swimming in. <laughs> you did, Andre Smith had a good run, but mm-hmm. it seems long. And it's the, t- it's the tough. So when you, when you look at these veterans that fall off, you don't necessarily want the guys that are uh, like, they're, they're kind of questionable to begin with, with their feet and their, the mm-hmm. quickness and athleticism. Like I, Andre Smith's never, I mean, he's been pretty good at for a stretch in the beginning of his career, but he's never been known for that. So now you're looking at a guy that is probably even slower, right? right. So it's kind but, of a, a daunting. 
I'm going to whip through the rest of these names because I kind of want to get them out there. This is everybody since 05, 06 that the Ravens got on a veteran basis, meaning they didn't draft the guy, and then they played here. And, and all the rest of them, they weren't very good for the Ravens. A.Q. Shipley, Vlad Dukas, wasn't terrible for a little bit, but mostly he was bad. Tony Bergstrom, terrible. Luke Bowanko, terrible. Andre Donnell barely played, but he wasn't good. Ronas Grasso, terrible in very brief action. Again, one start with the Ravens. Parker Ainger, similar situation, also quite bad. It hasn't been a star-studded group. The Ravens draft guys, they do very well, uh, but uh, the guys they've signed as free agents, uh, with the exception of a couple of high-priced guys, Burke, Anderson, Zuda, really haven't been very good. Yeah, it's a pretty f- remarkable list in a bad way. And AQ, AQ Shipley, uh, the interesting thing about him is he Still ended up league. playing better with Indianapolis, <laughs> right? He ended up going to the Colts and playing better after he left here. But, uh, yeah, no, this is a pretty awful uh, list. <laughs> Of guys, for sure. So, so the other question at tackle, I guess, is is there hope that Tyree Phillips can stay at tackle? And I, I, I'll just say, start the discussion by saying, I don't see anything in what I saw from his college tape that leads me to believe that he could from Mississippi State. He just He does not appear to have the feet to play NFL tackle. That's what I suspected. I don't haven't watched uh, any tape of him other than seeing the highlights. Now, I've read the scouting reports on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything lends to what you just said, which is that he should be playing uh, in a phone bo- booth, to use that expression, which is kind of obsolete nowadays. But, yeah, inside with somebody next to him at guard, either guard position, uh, doesn't have the feet, doesn't have the quickness. He's a big guy. You know, there's a lo- there's quite a bit of we, – I know we're going to get into this a little bit more in the next discussion about guard, but – I don't think he's as talented as as KO was, and I think KO could play tackle legitimately if sure. needed. And he's a better player. Don't, don't don't get me wrong. I just think there's some elements of Phillips in that, you know, he's a big guy, pretty long, and he's got some incredible power. I could see it translating again to guard, and guard will be the better position for him. And there's upside, but to your point, you don't want him playing tackle. Right. That, that is my thought as well. That Tyree Phillips has great long lockout arms to play guard. And we get into that a little bit when we, yeah. when we talk about that. I, I think that if we move along to the interior line here, there's kind of an order of operations that the Ravens need to follow. They need to figure out some things first at center, I believe, mm-hmm. before they've kind of figure out where they're going with the other things. But they have, yeah. there are a lot of moving parts. It's almost like one of those slider puzzles where you have to park the cars. <laughs> I mean, just, just so many, so many pieces they have to move. And this yeah. is why this discussion is so, I think the, the most vital discussion of of a team that's pretty loaded, right? We mm-hmm. we've talked about this. this. This is the most fun, and this might be one of the most fun things to peg uh, in a long time at offensive line because it's three positions. So I agree with you, and it's it starts at center, and I totally agree that that's gonna kind of dictate the rest of those positions because of I think who the candidates are at center. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a year certainly where health is going to be under a microscope, but health could be a bigger, you know, a bigger concern, obviously, than just the injuries here. And the depth should really suit the Ravens to, to have the incremental depth should be a, a you know, a very positive yeah. thing, I would think. Yes, uh, we touched on that a little bit, I think, on a previous pod. And this in turn, their depth is terrific on the interior, especially as bad as it is on the a tackle mm-hmm. and conversely this is as good of a group i can remember now the only thing you might say is they really don't have any veteran 
leadership, that's why they brought in DJ Fluker. But talent-wise, it's a good group. It's a really good group. Yeah, it's, it is a very good group. And the, the uh, when Chester was here, Chris Chester, he went on to be a hell of a lineman playing in mm-hmm. Washington, basically. But but he was just not quite good enough to break the Ravens' starting guards, although he did start over Yonda for a brief period, of Yonda and Grubbs. And, that's and then true. Yeah. Burke was at center. I mean, you know, that that off, that that line was really loaded in terms of their interior. <laughs> they were. You had to, I mean, you had to manufacture the unbalanced lines just to get everybody on the field. Not mm-hmm. to say they manufactured it just arbitrarily. They gained from that. They gained the benefit of that. But, uh, yeah, that's a good call. Like, I wouldn't put, the, the depth here is, is not at that level for sure. Mm-hmm. But there's, I think, confidence. You have confidence if you have to go to the, the, the guys that are further down the, the, the depth chart. Like, I don't yeah. really see too many major concerns. I agree. So there's not there's not a Ramon Harwood or somebody like that a little further no. down or a Ja Reed who you're very much not sure about. No. Uh, yeah. no. Totally. I, I, I agree with that. So let's talk about center, first of all. Uh, Matt Skura, one of the most interesting off-seasons of all, obviously, with the great comeback that we've seen captured on a lot of video this offseason. Could be more happy in terms of his ability to get running, get lifting, pass the, the conditioning test, which is just simply amazing. And now appears to me to be the front runner to win the center job. Should work out that way, uh, assuming that the team doesn't take a cautious stance with him and just maybe, you know, you know, Puplis is still an option. But, uh, you know, the more, I mean, frankly speaking, uh, not that anybody wants this, but if games are postponed, that only plays into his benefit or into his favor, I think. Uh, but that being aside, everything is on track uh, doesn't seem like one of these situations where uh, they are, I think over, um, I guess it, it's not almost like, you know, he is ahead of schedule, but there's, it's almost like he's coming back too soon type of thing. It seems as though mm-hmm. everything lines up medically or everything is lining up medically, which is great. Uh, it is a tremendous injury that he suffered. So you're still kind of, I think have to weigh things, but uh, I agree. He is the odds-on favorite. If he's able to play and he's healthy, there's no question about it. If he plays, uh, that's a big. I think. Uh, I think that's a big gain. We, uh, I think, touched on the fact that that Tennessee game kind of opened up uh, a little bit of the concerns that you might have with Makari returning to center or having that fill-in. They were able to get by, but eventually, it kind of, I think, got exposed a little bit not having Skura in there. Uh, but but yeah, he's he's the, the he's definitely the guy that you want coming back to man that position. I think it just solidifies their entire line. I'm I'm a big proponent of arm length in offensive linemen. I think it's really important. There's a great video out there, by the way, on NFL Game Pass. It just came out, I think, today, but it might have been out for a day or two before, with Calais Campbell. It talks about how he uses his length, his pad level. Oftentimes he'll give himself extra space lining up off his opponent to allow him to get motion uh-huh. and, and, and get a great first step into that opponent, then uses length. Well, basically, first contact wins was one of the, the points that continually came up with this. That basically, right. if he gets his hands on the other guy first, it's over. And right. at 6'8", right. he's going to a lot. <laughs> yes, oh. absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. I think length is like i mean that's one of those things you can't teach as they say as well but the power the combination to understanding how to jolt 
someone and knock them off balance. And then, then, you, you know, at that point you've won, like you said. So having that ability is, is, is also common. It's also comes back to like, it's a physical trait that you can't, you can't uh, replace easily. Right. Right. But so you, yeah. you need to draft for it. And yeah. And the Ravens have three very short-armed options after Skura. Skura has normal length arms for a center. They're 32 and a half or, or maybe approaching 33. But Bozeman, McCary, and Bredesen are all way down there in the um, percentile rankings of arm length. Uh, Bredesen, scarily so. He's in the first percentile. But but McCary and, and Bozeman also very short-armed. And, you know, they, any of those three players – would probably have their best position be center at the NFL level because it's the one where you can get away with length deficit the best. Two, two things allow you to get away with length deficit. One is you're playing on the interior, and one of your jobs is to pick up stunting and, and other players who won't necessarily be able to easily, and blitzing players, who won't be able to easily use their length against you in the same way that a lineman taking off out of a three-point stance can. Right. And, and the second is you're involved in lots of double teams. Well, nobody gets involved in more double teams in the center. You're involved in a double team almost every single play. So yeah. that's the that's the great thing about run plays anyway. That that uh, that you know there are, there are lots of ways to hide your your uh, your arm length there. And that's why you know it's those three guys could be playing for their NFL lives to win the job at center. Although Bozeman probably will play left guard if he doesn't. Well, thinking back to Jeff Saturday, who had shorter arms but ends up being one of the best centers, uh, you know, in NFL history. And I know he, he used to, was he was cut by the Ravens. I think he was cut by the Ravens. So that was, <laughs> he, he didn't, he, he didn't start off, uh, prominently of course, cause I think that those short arms play, uh, hurt him when it came to evaluations. But to your point, you're able to play with the double team. You're not, that you're taking, that's a great point about blitzes. And then I think when you're getting that second level, you're taking on, smaller guys so you're taking on mm. it's a lot it's, it's a little bit more uh using you know being able to use your body and you you know angles and understanding that nuance versus engulfing someone which if you can do it even better uh, but i think yeah you can get away with it a little bit more um so i think yeah i think bozeman the interesting thing about bozeman is that he he did work out very he worked out pretty well at left guard last year but his, I think his natural position, you could argue, has always been center. Um, they just might be in a situation though now with Skura being as good as he was. If he's back healthy, you don't. There's no really, there's no real gain, I think, to disrupt that duo. But Bozeman's intriguing to me just because he still, I think, has all the traits to play center at a pretty high level. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, I, I, you know, I like a lot of things about it. In a, in a sense, Bredesen has that too, you know, bringing in a brainy guy. Mm-hmm. I think Skura has bought some of that. I, You know, we've talked to Matt on the show. I, I would consider him a smart player, but not a genius level player. You know, I think that's fair. Went to Duke, you know, probably did it, did his homework <laughs> at some point. Matt Burke, maybe? <laughs> it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be Matt Burke, I, I don't think so. And he wouldn't be John Herschel, certainly. But, right. but Bredesen apparently took the ACTs in the sixth grade or something like that. You hear this kind of stuff. So he might be one of these very special intellectual offensive line who picks up the game very quickly right. and can, can uh, improve his own functionality through intellect, which is something a lot of players can't do. Even, even Herschel, I didn't think, was particularly good at that. It didn't really show up on the field. 
um, in terms of his own intellect, making him a better football player. Translating, yeah, there's a two, there's definitely a two two uh, two factor to that, and that you do have to be book smart and you have to be intelligent. But I think being the center, you're you're having to see other things on the field and and react quickly. Uh, it's kind of you know courage under fire. And there's a, there's some differences there in terms of the football intelligence that's required on the field and making the trans uh, trans uh, transition or the, the I guess the translation. I think one thing, and I I'd be curious what you think of Squira in terms of his ability to also call 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 make calls right call the game, um, make the line calls. Uh, did anything stand up with him uh, at a high level, or do you think that you know it was it wasn't anything noteworthy. I mean, to, I, it's something I wasn't able to necessarily uh, pick up on, but I think he did an adequate job. I think, right? For I, sure. I, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't point to that as really being a negative thing. If it was, we probably would have heard about it more. Yanda was obviously doing certain things with the cadence for the Ravens that did not involve Skura, but I think Skura, you know, handled a fair amount of what was going on there. But you, I mean, if you got Yanda, he's going to probably be making the calls. If there's a, if there's a move forward in some other different reallocation of blocking scheme going forward, I would expect Skura to be the guy if he's in there that would be, would be doing that. Yeah. In terms of pluses and minuses, Skura has been always had wonderful footwork, very unusual watching 05 and 06. I'm seeing Flynn and Vincent just step on the quarterback, step on the pulling guard. Just it constantly Ravens are losing 15 plays a year to that. I mean, it's unacceptable. It's just, it's, it's very poor coaching if nothing more. And I, I don't know whether to credit Skura himself, for understanding the dance steps better. I think maybe it's more about Delisandris and him teaching them better to do it. But that part of his game has always been been excellent. Well, we know, yeah, I think it's, a, you know, it's true. Jody is an excellent coach. Between himself and Greg Roman, I have to give him a lot of credit because Skura is he really, he was a terrific find. And, and it, mm-hmm. parts of all the things that he, he encompasses to me, the quintessential, he's the right fit, for the scheme type of analysis, right? Like if you look at him physically, he's, he's okay, right? Nothing stands out, but he wasn't decorated coming out, but they really figured out like the exact fit based on everything he can bring to the table and athletically, physically, is it, is it anything show stopping? No, but he really just fits like a T. And I think the coaching is, is a big part of it. Uh, I do. Uh, so everything kind of is there, and he's really turned out uh, to exceed expectations for sure. He's been a he's been a great guy on the back end of double teams, which is something I think other grading systems don't really reward him for, uh, and and that's something that I I put a high value on. It's obviously a big part of what the Ravens do is yep. you, you either climb or you stay back and you and you hold the block. And staying back and holding a double team block is not an automatic thing. Now you'd love the guy to be able to do what Burke and Yonda did to Will Fork on the Ray Rice touchdown in the 2009 AFC wildcard game. Very first play from scrimmage, the 83-yard play. Yonda drove Will Fork left, and Burke finished him off like no business. Yonda got in level two, blocked on Guyton. Big lane opened up. Rice ran through at 83 yards. You'd love him to be able to basically do what Burke did on that play. That's not really who he is, but holding that block is usually just as good. Yeah. Being able to... It's all about 
you know, minimizing the pursuit um, from that from that uh, secondary um, pursuit option, right? Once once the defenders get this, get that opportunity, so just holding them, you're you're contributing to a big play or a touchdown more times than that. Uh, or if it gets to that point, especially with Lamar Jackson. So yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, even just you know being able to hold the hold the the fort and being able to hold that position is is a huge thing. Uh, if you're able to finish the guy off even uh, better, but yeah, that's that's uh, I think it's an underrated thing, and especially with the amount of double teams that they run. Yep, completely agree. Okay, so we talked a little bit about Bozeman. Uh, pass blocking improved tremendously in the second half of the season. As a matter of fact, through six weeks, he'd had a lot of problems. I thought he might lose his job. Went to Seattle, had his best game of the year. And he, was, he had one more bad game, but was very solid for the rest of the year otherwise um, until Tennessee. And then uh, I really thought he had a he had a, a very good second half of the season, one that bodes quite well. I like to see a player like that who improves a little bit in season, but also improves season to season. Skura for season to season improvement has been really a model for that in terms of being a, a C minus to a C to a C plus B minus player as he's you know kind of gone through these last couple of years. And then uh, you know Bozeman seems to me to have similar characteristics of improvement even within that first year. Totally uh, agree. I was excited with how his progression came along. He adapted from, again, left guard is a bit of a change, not a big change, but it's enough of a change. And I think um, going from his, what he had potentially been pegged for at center, uh, and then just, I I think, you know, being able to, again, being able to adapt and fit within the scheme. uh, I thought he did fairly well in some pull runs. There were some pull runs that really stood out uh, where he, I thought, did a nice job of being able to locate his guy and get to his mark and and to your point he's not necessarily maybe gonna you know uh, pile drive the guy or or pancake a guy but i think he gets to his spot and then i think he he establishes the block so he i think he did a good job and was coordinated and i thought was was impressive frankly at times there were some games where i i mean scoring um in game when i dropped some notes down i was like wow that was a good block from Bozeman. so there was a number of isolation blocks especially where he was the lead guy and he was the key to a, a big run. Uh, so in the run game in particular, I, I think he was very good, uh, if not you know above above good. So I, I think you know that's what I'm expecting him to take another step. Like you said, hopefully clean up some of his pass blocking, but he's really good in the run game, and I think that's where he excelled. Yeah, what, I, I want to want to pile on your point there because i think it's a good one is that is that we kind of tend to fall in love with a pull block that gets into level two and then there's an opportunity for a guard to push a guy 10 yards or something i i when i'm scoring that i mean it it would be a highlight block to, to push a guy a number of yards but what's even more important is getting to level two and creating a readable block for the guy behind you for the running for the running back so whatever you're doing let him know how you're blocking him. Put your head on one shoulder. You know, make sure that that he can read how you're blocking that guy, so he can he can take one angle or the other. I mean, it, it, I mean, fantastic if you can push him downfield 15 yards every once in a while. But if if you if you can just push him two yards, and the running back can tell exactly what you're doing, I think that's even better. If you do it regularly, is is even mm-hmm. better than the occasion. So I totally agree. Yeah, there's a there's a uh, there's a coordination involved. There's also um, 
that that gets back to how the the offensive line was so well orchestrated in the first place. So not just the line, but the backs, of course, that and and, and Ricard, right? So all of those guys, the tight ends, Ricard, the backs, Lamar, the whole nine. And that's a good point that you know what whether it was Bozeman or whoever, but you know just in terms of those pull blocks, there was uh, you know innate understanding of where that block is going. And that also led to a lot of second-level quick hitters. Ingram, especially, I mean, how many times did he get to that second level and there was nobody there, right? Like he's, he's like, getting 10 yards just going up the field. So you do that, and that's turning into a 30-yard run pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, any any running back who's particularly big, Gus Edwards, you know, was fantastic at it in 2018, also again in 2019, uh, but also also Ingram, of course. You get them their first opportunity in level two. That's that's win. That's a win. You know, it's a big yeah. win most of the time. So it's uh, if he's if first contact comes in level two, you're you've got a you got a great chance to have a very high average on those runs. And I'm just gonna add or, or, or bookend it with saying if you get J.K. Dobbins on these runs, it's lights out. It, he's should, going, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, he, he's he's got Jamal. And I don't know if he's quite he's not he's not Jamal, but like it's the closest thing I can think of in terms of home run hitting ability that they've had. He looks very uh, much like a Ray Rice power runner with a little speed. It's he's, yeah. he's not, he doesn't have the he's, tremendous speed that, that uh, you know, some of the top backs have, but he's no. Yeah. I had to pull myself back for a second just thinking through it, but uh, yeah, you're right. He, he has the build of uh, build of a Ray Rice. It's interesting because Zeke, you know, was his predecessor. I don't think he's as uh, athletically gifted as, as Zeke maybe, or maybe not as good in the power game, but, um, but he's a good back, and you're going to see some big runs from him too. So yeah, those second level blocks uh, will play a huge role. All righty. So uh, you know, McCary, we talked a little bit about in terms of arm length. We're not going to be- beat him to death and all. Bredesen, I don't think we know enough to really say a lot more about him other than I don't see the guy really playing guard at the NFL level. I think he'll be a backup. I think that's probably where McCary is too this year. Uh, don't know if they if if the roster rules will be changed to be able to allow the Ravens to keep everybody, or if they're going to have to put some people on IR, I know there's, there, there's an eighth offensive lineman this year gives you an extra roster spot. So that's nice, but because the Ravens would typically only carry seven. So I would think you go from nine to 10 on the roster, but maybe not. And if you don't, then, you know, there's some people are going to get left out this year in terms of, of, uh, of being on the roster. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, I think it gives them more flexibility for sure. Always welcome at that position. Uh, you know, that's the one where I think it's the one that's the toughest because it's the least versatile when you keep nine or ten offensive alignment. I mean, your linemen aren't particularly going to make a difference in special teams. They're not going to play multiple positions uh, like some of the other guys, the defensive backs, for example, do. So, I think having that position, uh, having more options, more flexibility is necessary, because it's also the it's also the unit that has the it, that's kind of up there in terms of injury, um, getting injury risk or injury um, devastation. Mm-hmm. So if you lose one or two of these guys, you're and most teams don't have the depth to withstand that. It's very rare. Uh, it's certain teams like New England, for example, that I think universally have been able to withstand offensive line injuries because of their coaching. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's a twofold thing. And, uh, you know, getting back to Bredesen, 
I kind of like his upside a little more than you. I think he's got a chance to start at guard. I, I don't know if it's going to happen right away. I think he's a developmental guy. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've read, though, I like his foot. Like we've talked about, his football IQ is exceptional. He seems like he has good power, and he's got he's 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 a guy that will get down and dirty and scrape. Um, so kind of a quintessential Harbaugh type of player, which which makes a lot of sense now. Um, I know he's got limitations, and, and that could hurt him, especially in this scheme, athletically. Uh, and he, like you said, has the shorter arms, so it's quite possible he may not physically... He's probably one of these guys that's just playing above his, his pay grade physically. But I think he's got the other tools and the intangibles, potentially, to, to kind of break through. Yeah, I think I think they they must have liked him for that. The guy who was available at the time and he didn't get drafted until they were 182 by New England. I guess Bredesen was 143, 146 whenever the Ravens drafted him. But Michael Oweno, who he played with at Michigan on the, at the other guard spot, uh, was a guy I loved coming into this draft. Tremendous arm length, uh, 344 pounds. You know, he's very much like DJ Fluker in terms of a massive body at guard. Uh, mobility would have been a question. But, you know, you, you, you have to trade physical attributes a lot in terms of, of size and mobility. And, and I would have probably, on this offensive line, preferred another big size guy and a length guy. True. I, I guess they, comp, they, they kind of went that direction with Phillips mm-hmm. to start and then came back with Bredesen. So I don't know if they're, they, they kind of uh, felt like they were good with Phillips. And then, you know, Bredesen kind of, captured some other traits they were looking for i do kind of like the balance that those two guys have i know phillips was i know we're going to talk about him here coming up but i i know he was evaluated lower uh and the ravens had a higher grade on him obviously phillips is coming out as a tackle so i don't know if again getting back to that colegio assembly comparison like they just know that he's going to convert all the way and be a left guard uh or right guard i think more left guard is his future uh, let's let's forward. talk about that for just a second i mean it's a it's a first of all i think it's kind of an unfair comparison colecci assembly was a second round draft pick and a very successful second round draft pick okay so we're, we're already talking we're postscripting what we're doing at, at colecci assembly as opposed to taking all second round guards who are drafted or all second round tackles and we're comparing them to one of the successful ones and you're saying he, he's not well of course, I, I wouldn't expect that it's not a fair comparison for a guy drafted late in the third round to be, you know, as good as a guy who was in the second round and also is the cream of the second round among among uh, offensive linemen you can take. I'm not saying there's not been any better, but he's he, he'd be up there. He'd be 85th, 90th percentile of second round offensive line picks. Wouldn't we agree on that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Phillips is yeah. a guy that was, a, you know, looked at and scrutinized as, a, as more of a reach and I think is more of a, a developmental guy. Let's not get that twisted. I just think as a, as a just in terms of the physical elements that he has I, I don't think he's as good of a player coming out as Kalecha assembly I think it's more of the transition between playing tackle and then I think really being a better fit inside at left guard so uh yeah in terms of the the, the quality of the player I think it's not a fair comparison I'm just thinking of the physicality and the size converting inside that's what gotcha. I'm looking at yeah okay so trait basis so let's, trait let's, basis, let's yeah. 
Let's talk about the about right guard because I think that's kind of the next position the Ravens are going to need to determine. And because the Ravens have a predominantly right-handed run scheme, and the, the what we've talked about already with Stanley and Brown leads that to me to believe that's the way they'll continue to be, primarily right-handed, mm-hmm. is that the right guard position has to be looked at as the position that leads and opens the gate for the polls. So yep. that that right guard's very common responsibility occasionally we'll have a kickout responsibility but more often than not we'll be folding that defensive tackle in and and turning his way through the hole uh as as he pivots and something yonda did of course exceptionally well for many years it wasn't the line that yonda couldn't pull he could move a lot he could move well enough and 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 pull effectively but he's outstanding at controlling that defensive tackle as he pivoted through the hole yeah uh, i it's a it's a important position from those two fronts and to your point, that they did they did quite a bit of those pulls, and then had the had Yand as the point person. So uh, the question is, between the guys that they have, I think starting with Fluker, um, does he have enough coordination balance to get that done? Because I think he's got the strength. He's known as a he's been known in his career as being somebody that can get after it. And he can I think in terms of at the point of attack, be physical and can he, you know, can he get a good forward lean? I don't think that's a question. I think it's more, can he, uh, can he, um, can he handle the coordination, the balance required of those pulls? Right. So he's, he's got the arm length. The Fluker had the fifth longest arms in combine history at 36 and three quarter inches. I mean, that's freakishly long. And, you know, certainly at guard, you know, I thought a lot of people really probably wanted him to play tackle coming out. He was drafted, I think it was 11 overall when he when he came out. Yeah. Uh, never lived up to that as a player, you know, but, uh, you know, moved inside a guard and has been a serviceable player for a number of years. He is a bargain player. And again, he fits into this bargain group of offensive linemen where the Ravens have never really had a winning lottery ticket. So hopefully... Right. This is the <laughs> this is the one that breaks that sequence. I think that the, there's con- the, the concerns I have is he's da- trending downwards and he's already, as we said, he's been a good player, not exceptional. He's been at his height. He's been a good player. Now he is. Is he better equipped to play right guard? Is this a good natural fit for him? He's obviously motivated. And I think his attitude is great. Uh, I think the intangibles are there. I just question his athleticism. Uh, it, look, no matter what, whoever is going to take up Yonda's spot, we know is a big come down. However, uh, I think that there is something to be said about the importance of this position and what that you just articulated it, what that person has to be able to do. I am skeptical that he's going to be able to do it. I think he's got a great, I think they like him. He's got good intangibles. He's got a veteran presence. I like those qualities. I just don't know physically He's going to be the guy. Yeah, he reminds me more of an Orlando Brown in terms of being a very big, physical, long arm tackle who does not still use his length as well as he could. Mm-hmm. Uh, Orlando Brown Sr. now I'm talking about. Uh, 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 being a, okay. a guy who who uh, did not really use his length as effectively as he otherwise could. Yeah, you know, 
Phillips is the other side of that coin. What I did see, you know, there's a lot of things not to like about his footwork. What I did see is those great lockout hands. The game he played against Texas A&M was kind of a, a nice one to watch because it had Matabike on the other side. And the the right defensive end, war number three, and as a guy who's also named Tyree, except with two E's, Tyree Johnson, I think it was, who was a D.C. product, um, who wore number three, which means he's, he's getting a single-digit number. They've really recruited him highly at Texas A&M. And he just consistently was flashing to the armpits of this guy and locking in inside where he couldn't get off the block. It's just mm-hmm. it was very impressive on a lot of the pass blocks, uh, some of the run blocks, but a lot of the pass blocks uh, in, in particular. If, if Phillips is that guy at right guard and can can – imposes will in that way in the run game, boy, that would be something in terms of, of, of being the pivot guy that the Ravens need. Yeah, I totally think he can handle that. I think physically he can handle it. I mean, just that raw power and that raw, like you said, just locking his, 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 his hands are like vice grips. Uh, he's people don't get off his blocks. So we know that. And he's got that one characteristic down pat. And that's, that's really his, I think that's the main thing. He's if you're talking about sculpting some clay, like there's a lot to work on though around him and, and his game. So that gets back to again. I apologize for the KO comparison. That's not <laughs> where I was going with it originally, but it was more along the lines of he's got some incredible power in some of those traits. But then getting back to it, he's a lot more of a raw player. I think it's he's a, he's just I, I don't think he's quite there. Uh, in this group, I think he's still a ways to go. Now, that that being said, you know, I think this coaching staff can can almost work miracles, and they've shown to be really exceptional. So maybe they could, and, and maybe they can work with that one physical trait and kind of mask some of the other things. But I, I think he is a little bit further away. Frankly. Well, you know, quote the Herb Brooks, you know, great moments are great, born of great opportunity, and and it's it's very possible that. Phillips will get his chance due to injury, due to illness at some point during 2020 anyway. And so he'll, he'll have that opportunity. Although I would agree. I think he's really third in line at right guard. I actually think he's second in line for that right guard position is Ben Powers, who, you know, obviously was, was sitting uh, on the inactive list for most of the season. Lots of reasons mm-hmm. to go into that. We've talked about him before, but also who, uh, had played very successfully against the Steelers in that final game of the year. Yeah, he's the guy that I like uh, the most, to be honest with you. I, I think he's, he, uh, you know, I think he's he's got the chance to to win the job, and I think he's got the chance to ultimately be the successor to Yanda. Um, not that he's going to play at that level, but again, it's just more, I think in the short term, he's going to be their starting right guard for a couple of years. And it, think there's a lot of good things to like like you said he played really well in that game against the Steelers uh but it, it's not as if he is I think truly exceptional in any one area I think he's just a very well-rounded player uh he I don't think he's a tremendous athlete necessarily but he gets the job done he's really smart I think he understands like, technique wise he's really good that part does kind of remind me a little bit <laughs> again I I I I caution myself with comparison to Yanda if anything. But if you're just talking about pure technique, I think, yeah, Ben Powers is known for his technique. Um, you know, just that okay. And then what I really like, it's kind of a, just kind of a, just 
looking at the scenario playing with Orlando Brown. I love that chemistry that those guys have. Mm -hmm. Built-in chemistry, comfort. So I could see them really meshing well together. Um, the only thing, I guess, there's there's some other elements, of course, like just from a can he, you know, coaching wise, like does he have everything down? Like does he is it is he going to be more comfortable in his second year? You know, I think there's some other things to look at just from a behind the scenes standpoint that I can't answer. But I think as a player, I think he's the type of guy that I could see evolving and gets it and seems to be and he also plays with a nasty streak we know that he's got to have that temperament mm -hmm. so I, I like him to take the job i don't know if it's going to be day one i don't know if it's going to be game one but i think that's the guy eventually that ends up being in a, the right guard you know that's going to be one of the interesting things you mentioned the nasty streak of power is certainly something he talked about himself uh, you know shortly after the draft but this is an opportunity for him to really demonstrate that nasty streak and put some guys on the ground regularly because his double team is typically going to have that defensive tackle down blocked by Brown as the right defensive end, or sorry, the left defensive end is allowed to run free on that right offensive side. And he's going to, he's going to have an opportunity with a jolt from Brown to put that guy on the, on the ground or move him significantly frequently and it'll be nice to see what he does with a with an offensive lineman who's off his pins if he can really take yep. advantage of that. Exactly, yeah. So that combination is exciting to think about. And just if those guys are, are able to, they already have that again that built-in rapport to play together. So both those guys are are not those both of those guys are pretty pretty imposing uh, in their in their own right. I, I think Powers playing at that level, willing to be willing to mix it up. I think he's going to be a throwback uh, for the team. And I think he plays like that. So I'm just curious to see how award will work again. Uh, everything looks good on paper. Uh, and again, this is one of those, I, I think the Ravens have played it right. I think they bring in the veteran, they bring in Fluker. Say, All right, we're covering our bases a bit. We got a lot of young guys. If it doesn't work, you know, it's easier to go back to Fluker bring him in, he'll solidify things. But I think, like you said, everything's kind of teed up for Ben Powers right now. He, he just looks like the right fit. Powers is the one guy, too, who the lack of a preseason, I don't think it should affect him in the same way because he was around the team, practiced with the team the whole year last year. So yeah. most of what he probably needed to do was a lot of strength and functionality. And sure, there's a lot of things that he'll probably get back to in terms of what Joe D can teach him on that rep-by-rep rep basis that he uses that we've seen at camp before. I, 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 like, I like his chance, uh, but you know, I think they probably have already let Fluker know that he's going to be the first choice there based on what we're hearing. Yeah. Um, and so we'll, uh, we'll see how that, that plays out. I did want to mention that with Bozeman, McCary, and Bredesen, I think all three of them are, for me, eliminated by arm length at right guard. I just don't think they make sense over there. And I know the Ravens got by with Yonda there for many years, but Yonda was a very, very unique individual that yeah. it's you just can't plug in the typical short arm person and say, well, they can be like Marshall Yonda. Well, Marshall Yonda wasn't yeah. like anybody else. So, Well, yeah, getting, he, getting back to technique, I mean, this guy benefited because of that. He was able to overcome anything because he was just one of the best technicians ever. Uh, one thing I want to say about uh, Powers before we move on with the Fluker point um, is that I, I, yeah, I think, no, I, I agree. I think Fluker does get the first designated crack at this. Um, but I think with, you know, what, it, what, like you said, powers 
what he has going for him, I think, and maybe this is a bit of a stretch, but if you think back to all the second-year guys that have done well for the Ravens, like Wagner, what you brought up, Wagner, uh, and frankly, some of the other guys we mentioned, I think, before, beforehand, like, there's something to the Ravens, I think, having an offensive lineman not play much their first year and then kind of come in their second year, start, do well. I think Bozeman's the, the latest guy to do that but but that's not to say that's that's a direct like one-to-one fit with ben powers i just think that could be a reason for optimism they come in they play a little bit they soak it up and then they're ready to start and really contribute the following year yeah it's it's not an uncommon thing for nfl linemen i don't think in general but i agree with the ravens they've done a great job of developing linemen between years one and two. And I just, I'm, I'm thinking, going back in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, we got Gaither, we have Skura. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of different players have, Yanda even, have been much yeah. better in their second year than their first. Yep. And uh, it, it really it really would make a lot of sense for, for him to be the guy for that reason. I mean, let's shift to left guard too, because I think that that's a place where Powers could be the guy. I mean, he's, his length mm-hmm. is, the, he's about the only average length guy on the entire team, him and Skura. I mean, they're, right. they're the only guys who have just normal kind of like everybody's super long or super short otherwise. And uh, uh, Powers is really makes him flexible to play either right or left guard. I think Bozeman probably has the has the upper hand. Obviously, if Skura wins the center job, I think Bozeman gets the left guard job. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that totally. But that is one of the things that I thought of is that you can move uh, Powers to left guard or you can play left guard and then you could. You could potentially have you know, so many combinations again. Like you could have Fluker at right guard, Powers at left guard, and Bozeman at center. That could be an option if Skura doesn't play. Um, if Skura plays, I don't think Bozeman. I think Bozeman is likely to come into the season starting at left guard. I think he deserves it. He played very well. Do I think it's a hundred percent lock or a hundred percent like just a slam dunk? Um, I'm not willing to go there just because I, I do think that the Ravens are willing to, to kind of let things play out and they may move guys around. So yeah, I, I could see a scenario where powers plays left guard. That, that could definitely happen. If they'd like, again, I think it's just the combination and Harbaugh has been very fond of saying that we're going to play the best five guys period. So. Right. I, I, I hear that. And then I see Harbaugh's actions and there's two major ways. Harbaugh obviously communicates with the PR department and tells them how to put together the depth chart. And the depth chart is rookies go at the very bottom. That's, that's like automatic. So you draft her Hayden Hurst in the first round and he's fourth on your tight end depth chart depth chart. And I, 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 all I'm thinking is if that's really true, that was a terrible draft pick. <laughs> And we, I have other reasons, of course, why I didn't like the pick. We won't going to go into those again. But, <laughs> but uh, Hurst, uh, uh, you know, if it were true, he, it would have been a very bad pick. I, in a lot of cases, Orlando Brown was a similar case. Now, Orlando Brown's situation a little different. They, they waited till the third round to get him. But it looked like to me there was no reason for him not to be starting that season after the preseason he had. Yeah. That's somehow they sat him behind Hurst yeah, for all his was like, I, That one was one where I just couldn't, couldn't understand it at all. Really, really was a waste of time. So that's a fair point. It's totally a fair point. Maybe he doesn't play the best five guys, but yeah, I think um, I think in this situation though, it's unique because there's no Yanda, so that does open up the possibilities. 
All right. Uh, so left guard, uh, I have Bozeman and Powers as my top two guys, and then I have some of the shorter-armed options, McCary and Bredesen and Phillips. Obviously not that, but Phillips could end up at left guard, I suppose. If you had that, boy, you'd have some serious length at four to five positions, uh, and not bad if it's a at center either if it worked out that way. Yeah, I think uh, it would be intriguing. I love Phillips' physical ability. We've talked about it as upside is really intriguing. I just am skeptical that he will have all of the, he'll have everything he needs getting back to the rookie argument where they fit on the depth chart. It would have to take a quantum leap and they would have to really love uh, what he brings to the table, which could happen. It's possible. Makari, I think is an interesting guy just because again, last year he played, um, has, has games that he's seasoned, right? So I think, He's good depth, though. I I, envision, I just think he's so he will be so valuable as your backup center, backup guard, first guy up, and you know what you're expecting. But there's, uh, I think, still an outside chance he could somehow grab that position better than right guard. But I think you have it right. Um, Bozeman, there's no reason to think he won't um, remain the left guard and, and unless something, uh, I think, kind of just develops and, like we said, like, just they get knocked they they're they're just knocked away with how good you know some of these guys quit themselves at left guard but i think he's he should remain the left guard in all likelihood here assuming score is healthy at center and one of the characteristics the ravens used last year was making these one for one transactions of offensive linemen when they had to remove somebody and and put in a new one and that went play for play it went in roster decisions on game day where they said really some unusual crap with players like Ronas Grassou getting an activation and, you know, McCary being the guy who jumped in at center, instead of moving Bozeman over from left guard, they really wanted to make a one for one switch instead of a change two positions, yeah. take two risks kind of thing. I'm wondering if this year the Ravens will have that luxury again, given potential fluidity in the line, both the illness and, and injury. I don't, I don't think they will. Uh, and I think that's why this group is uh, interesting because there's first there is quite a bit, bit of options here. So you could make two switches. It seems like their depth is is good enough to withstand it. Uh, they're we're looking at just even looking at this list. You're you're at uh, you're three deep pretty easily. Uh, we would say like on the on the de- on the bench and. That's factoring in rookies, Phillips and Bredesen. We don't know what they what they can do, uh, but yeah, I think they're, they're depth wise, you know, perhaps in a better situation if they had to make a switch of two different positions. That's just the read I have so far. Uh, again, putting a lot of stock in how much um, Bredesen and Phillips could potentially bring to the table as rookies. Um, maybe that's a dangerous thing to do, and especially in a season where um, there's a lot of unknown, but I think I like the fact that these guys could play multiple positions as well. So that could help, you know, with their depth. Uh, but I think it does seem like they have more quantity so that they could possibly do the two for one swap or multiple position swap. All right. This has been a lot of fun. Is one other thing I wanted to talk about because whenever we talk about the offensive line these days, and just not just you and me, it's a lot of people, but I'm the most guilty of it. I talk about Lamar basically lifting 
the rest of the offensive line. And that, that, you know, look, there's certainly a lot of players benefiting from who Lamar Jackson is and the Ravens run game in general is benefiting from it. I want to talk about this though, for a second, the 2020 big data bowl was won not by a couple of American guys from MIT or Carnegie Mellon, which is kind of like the heart of football uh, analytics in the United States with a lot of the, the uh, data being kept there on GitHub and, and places, but by two Austrian guys who developed a model to look at five factors at the handoff, and I'm putting that in quotes for the moment, to determine an expected yards metric for every run. And so they used XY position, which you're given in the big data bowl, speed, which you can either calculate or are given, uh, acceleration, so they'd have to calculate that one, and direction at the handoff. And relative to other players, they were able to make determinations about the expected yards and I, I need to do more research into this to find out exactly what does at the handoff mean when you're in the mesh point for almost half a second with Lamar Jackson. <laughs> but it's still an interesting thing because the Ravens had the best yards per carry expected of any, I'm going to put in quotes again, offensive line at 4.6 yards per play. And they exceeded that, but they were the best in terms of, of expected yards per carry. Wow. Uh, that is, we're, we're getting so advanced, advanced analytics. This is like beyond anything I could have even thought was, was, was doable, but it's pretty cool. And I don't, I mean, it makes sense to me. It just, the, the, the mechanics don't make sense. The math doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. but the output and I guess the fact that they were the best, that part makes sense because you saw that pretty consistently. Um, but it gets speaks back to I think one key factor: Does Lamar enhance everybody around him, uh, including the line, including the block, the blockers, of course? But it certainly does on many fronts, and you could spend hours talking about how and how he influences the defense and makes things easier. But um, just getting guys out of position, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I think on a fundamental level, the scheme does suit him and the linemen that they've chosen really as we've talked about over the course of this podcast like they're really good fits physically and intellectually they may they may be able to do some you know almost like thinking back to the denver lines that mike shanahan had where he was just kind of ripping replacing guys left and right because their scheme was so good i I don't know if it's quite to that level I, i do think that there are players that really fit nicely and uh physically and intellectually uh but I do think that there should be some credit to the line and physically, you know, just their ability. Uh, but, you know, aside from Lamar really enhancing their, their, uh, their play. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the only places that they still are spending money on right now on the offense is in Boyle, Nick Boyle. And I don't, I think there was mock laughter. How do I want to put it at the beginning of the 2019 season, when the Ravens held a pe- press conference to announce a three-year re-signing of Nick Boyle, I think a lot of people were laughing at it. And in particular, either after or right before some other p- players were lost, like Mosley and some of the other defensive players who left the team in 2019, it seemed like this was a makeup conference or something that, that was, that was being done is, is an anticipation of some losses. I don't think there's anybody laughing now about the value no. of Nick Boyle or about the value of Patrick Ricard. No. Uh, you know, that, Not at he, all. Oh, and it's a, a phenomenal point that those two are extensions to the offensive line, but they're, mm-hmm. they are your 
there's your chess pieces on the line. I mean, there's the line and the court, everything that they do. Uh, but you now have movement. You have uh, the ability to kick out. You have options in the blocking. They, they extend everything. And mm-hmm. they create such versatility. Um, it's incredible. Nick Boyle, for the, the sake of it, is one of the best blocking tight end H-back guys that we've seen in the last couple of years, at least I've seen. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of physical ability to get after it and, and block and, and tar- like we get back to the isolation block where you're you're getting not just to your assignment but you know understand like you said understanding how to lead that block so he's terrific and and just to take a step back i remember when that press i remember when that went down and without fail i think they pulled like a number of nfl teams right and i think there was like a good chunk of them maybe 10 12 of them that said that they would have they would have made him a priority signing yeah of some kind I, I, if i'm not mistaken and i remember that vividly thinking he was rated as a top, he was being paid out as a top 10 to top 12 tight end. And without fail, NFL teams saw the value in that. The other right. NFL teams, like the Ravens said he would have been signed quickly. So yeah, I agree. Like he's, a, he's an engine. Him and Ricard both have been unsung heroes in this run game. It's a, it's a, you know, I'm, I just love the the way it's constructed so well because it's a perfect fit. But when they run that diamond formation where they had Hurst in the backfield, and presumably it might be Andrews, it might be Scarf, it might be a, you know one of the younger tight ends that's a, that's a rookie this year who'd be the guy next year. But it's set up to make the blocks at every appropriate spot. Uh, you know, even at wide receiver, if you're playing a single X receiver and it's Boykin there, then he's the best downfield blocker you'll see in the NFL now among receivers. Uh, mm-hmm. But 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 your 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 tight end is set up in the backfield. He can he can go out and 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 run some sort of a route off play action a lot of the time and and get open. But the but the other thing he can do is he can make a great level two or level three block, and he really never has to have a at the line of scrimmage blocking requirement. And and in level two or level three, even the smaller you know tight ends, the two fifty more speed guys like Hurst and uh, and uh, Andrews are very effective blockers if they always yeah. are blocking a cornerback or safety. Yeah. Well, that's what the Ravens and the 49ers have perfected more than any mm-hmm. two teams. If you look at what the Niners do, everything's predicated on Kyle Juszczyk's ability uh, and, and the angles. And that I think was, was really drilled down so well that, you know, Mo, you know, Mostert, I think especially benefited in the Niners game because of how well Juice would get out uh, out in space and hit those angles and those angle blocks is what uh, Kyle Shanahan would just really um, focus on and I think the Ravens do as as well of a job as well, as good of a job as well and it's not a, you know I think by mistake that Robins the kind of the architect so uh, but he's been notorious for using those H backs full backs tight ends multiple tight ends to get to those those spots that a lot of other teams. I don't think necessarily can cover because they don't have as uh, as versatile a group of blockers. You got to be extremely disciplined to get to every gap you need to, to stop the Ravens run. And that always means you have to let some, something be uncovered. So I I, I love that, that, you know, Harbaugh is talking about taking more shots down the field, trying to win those one-on-one matchups because there are going to be plenty of those and the receivers need to win those one-on-one matchups. Uh, and, and hopefully that means a bigger role for Boykin and, and a, a breakout year for Brown this year too in, the, in addition to this great run game. I see that. Well, the Brown discussion could be another podcast, frankly. Yeah. 
because <laughs> I see a big year coming for him. But I, I also see Boykin benefiting tremendously from play action and just more opportunities downfield. All right. Well, Dev, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, tell people again, what, Twitter handle, anything else you want to plug before we get off? Sure. People can find me at Dev Panchwa. Uh, and then, at, of course, I write for uh, Russell Street Report. Nothing imminent, but, you know, as we're getting closer to the season starting, uh, I'll be more active. And I think just continuing to have some of these great conversations about the uh, about who's going to start. And I think X's and O's really is going to come up and just kind of looking at the bigger picture, uh, especially the passing game. And that's something that, again, can I I don't want to tip my hand too much, but it's a project that I, I still have kind of um, a focus on. Uh, you might see more of that coming up in August or closer to the season, depending on when that starts. All right. Well, fantastic, Dev. Thanks for joining us. Other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, contact me by direct message on Twitter. That's usually the easiest way to get get the ball rolling on that. It can be very quick to get to production. Our record is about five minutes from from direct message to actually recording the podcast. Had that with a Pittsburgh fan the other day about the possibility of uh, uh, creating a system that would avoid tanking. NFL, something that uh, I think is an interesting topic, and wow. uh, we got right to it. So anyway, uh, I hope folks uh, out there have a good, safe uh, time out there. Make sure you're you're wearing your masks, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Break free from the big three. Get unlimited with 5G included for $30 a month when you get four lines on Xfinity Mobile. Prices may vary and are subject to change. Reduce speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.